We're talking about the Father's approval, and I want us to read this out loud. This is one of Paul's prayers. It's my prayer too. Ephesians three sixteen through 19. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, length, depth, height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. In verse 19, let's read that last phrase. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What would that look like? One person. I think Jesus was a person who was filled with all the fullness of God. And if you look at verse 18, you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is, read that, width, length, depth, and height. And so you can not be seated yet. I almost told you to sit down, but. I would have been wrong. You have a love that Paul describes to a three-dimensional world in four dimensions. Width, length, depth, and height. And what that means is God offers us something that we can't comprehend that we can still benefit from. And there is a place, and we should all be interested in that place where God has so filled us with his love that we are filled with all the fullness of God. Okay, let's read the next verse. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The important thing to note here, and we'll talk about more of it here in a minute, is Jesus started his public ministry the way he lived his entire life. Knowing that before he accomplished anything or did anything, his father was already pleased with him. And so while he talks about doing what he's doing and pleasing the Father, he actually understood he could please the Father because he already knew his Father was pleased with him. And it wasn't something to obtain, it was something to live out. Does that make sense? Okay, let's read the next slide here. Philip said to him, to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. But the word sufficient for us means to be possessed of unfailing strength. You know, the Bible talks about Old Covenant, New Covenant, Old Agreement, New Agreement. The Old Agreement was an agreement between God and mankind, and it was basically this simple. Do right, I'll bless you. Do wrong, I'll curse you. 
God fully knowing they couldn't do right, mankind not understanding they couldn't. And so then he gave a new covenant. The new covenant was between the Father and the Son. And Jesus became the covenant for us. Got a little witness back there from the sub-team crowd. What does that mean? Well, it means this. The covenant God has with you was and is based on Jesus' obedience, not yours. Which, when that penetrates, releases you to be way more obedient than if you're trying to be obedient to please Him. And what I'm talking about is the gospel, really, of the grace of God. Your covenant is a living person, the Lord Jesus Himself. He is your strength. He's your, he is everything you need. It's simply a matter of discovery, not of obtaining. You know, the tricky part about being a Christian is you have everything you need. All those things you're out there ruining your life over at times trying to gain, you already have. You just don't know it. Looking for love in all the wrong places. I guess so. Go get me a dog and a can of beer and a pickup truck and sing some country truth here this morning. Okay, let's go to the next one. I think there's the next one. Yes. No, there's not. Good. Sit down. <laughs> I know some remarkable people. I know some, I know some prophetic people who have told me um, my middle name, John Mark's birthday, that Josh Baldwin's supposed to go to California. I could tell you on and on and on and on. And these are people who did not know any of those things whatsoever, but they have that kind of a gift. And I know several people like that. And one of them in particular, not through uh, sexual immorality or anything like that, over the long haul, his wife got tired of him because he's sort of a strange person, I guess, and left him. And so he is now navigating through the rejection, the division of his property, relating to his children, relating to ministry, relating to ministers. And it's been... A very, very difficult situation for me. You could, some of you don't even have to, uh, some of you know by experience some things like that. And so what he's been trying to do is he's been trying to regain whatever ground he's lost among his friends, among his family, and among his ministry associates and people who are interested in his, in his uh, ministry. And he's had a hard time. And one of the reasons he's had a hard time is because, like most of us, maybe all of us to some degree, he, he, he's got to revisit the idea that his value to God and to other people is not connected to 
how good he ministers. Now, you can plug into that how much money you make for your family or whatever your realm of endeavor is. And I'll tell you this, before it's all said and done, every one of us will go through this crisis. And it's only a crisis if you don't get it. Actually, everyone should have a a crisis until they don't need another one. Do you know you quit having an identity crisis the moment you really find out who you are because it's impossible to have another one? Somebody ought to tweet that here on the front row. That's really good. (laughs) Men, I can't speak for women so much, but men, you meet another guy and they're going to say, hello, what's your name, blah, blah, blah. What's the first question? What do you do? What do you do? Ladies, not so much. They say other things. But men, you know, what do you do? And so... What men do when their lives fall apart is they buy a motorcycle, drink, take dope, get a trophy wife, something. Right? Something. New car, new house, new something. Because they think it will answer that internal question they have or hunger they have but the only thing that answers that question is the unmerited love God has for you and see if you don't get that you are striking out on a life destined to come into uh, this crisis because it's so important to the Lord for you to get that right or to understand that that he will allow you to go he won't precipitate them you precipitate them he just knows it's coming, and he's standing around to pick up the pieces to show you he really cares about you, and it's not based on how well you did or didn't do. Come on. Somebody in here, wake up. It's a little sharp there, wasn't it? Anyway, um, this is one, you know, how many V keys to life are there? This is one of V keys, knowing the love of God. That's why Paul would pray, you know, the Ephesian church. That was in the book of Ephesians, Paul's prayer. The Ephesians church was probably the most Holy Spirit, refined, capable, and uh, gifted, empowered church that you find in the New Testament. They were uh, revelatory. They're all those things. And yet what is Paul praying for them? That they might know the love of God. That love that's beyond knowledge. So that they could really be filled with with the fullness of God. So, this friend of mine, and I've seen others, and I've been this place myself to a certain degree, is in this crisis. And so, another very successful, wise pastor writes him this letter. And, And the principles in it, we need to all really hear. He says to him... You are valuable to us as a friend. Not because you're a prophet or even a prophet of hope, just a friend. All the other stuff, the way you hear from God, your ministry to those of us who need to hear something from the Lord, the unusual words of knowledge, your encouragement, all work. To add to our lives through your gift. It's the bonus stuff. And I'm very thankful. But you are the treasure. 
You're the treasure. Many times over the last several months, you've written or called to tell me or us that you're healed or restored or cleaned up or misunderstanding is gone, a clarity of thoughts restored, etc., etc. I'm glad you're positive about all those things. I'm glad you're committed to moving on. But really, it's those people around you that will notice whether or not you're well. Let them announce it for you. You have no need to at all. Did you hear that? You don't. You have no need to. Plus, you're not loved because you're well and okay now. I love you healthy, broken, weak, or strong. I love you with accurate prophetic words or inaccurate prophetic words. You're loved when you're performed. You're loved when you're silent. And on and on it goes. Are you hearing that? See, everybody's going to face that if you haven't already. Um, some of the steps my wife and I have taken in ministry, it costs us everything to do pretty much. I mean, uh, to us, faith is like gambling. It may work. <laughs> What am I saying? I, I'm saying there at times you just have to live by your faith, not your concept of it or somebody else's idea about it. You're just going to have to hang your neck out there and either this will work or it won't work. And sometimes that's the best kind of faith there is. You know, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And God is so good. You know, Shelley was singing about meeting the Lord, and he rewrites your history. You should study this. You should study what Lot did in the Old Testament and then hear what the book of Hebrews says about him. You're wondering if he's talking about the same person. Abraham, too, all those guys. Why? Because when, when why does that happen? That The picture of these guys in the Old Testament looks a lot better in the New Testament. It's because when you really meet the Lord, he forgets on purpose certain things about you, and he literally rewrites your history and your future. That's landing somewhere. I know your brains are going, but... No, you do that. Go look at Just Lot. Yeah, Just Lot's the guy that had sex with his two daughters and created people we're still fighting now, thousands of years later. Hebrews, Just Lot. Abraham, by faith, told Abimelech his wife was his sister, sent her into his harem so that Abimelech wouldn't kill him. That never shows up that... <laughs> That never shows up in the New Testament. It talks about the man of faith. But what happens is God begins to see you as you really are, not as what your history has said you are. And there's a recreation. You are a new person. But there's part of us that just sometimes doesn't get it. Turn to somebody and say, huh. No, that's okay. Now, 
Jesus said in John 14, I'm going to read verse 16 and 18. He said, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that that helper may abide with you forever. And then he said, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And so there have been a lot of conversation over the years, and I know how much truth there is in it because I know about my own life. Before anybody meets the Lord, even if they're not natural orphans, since the fall, they relate in life as an orphan. Actually, Donna and I are orphans for real. Her mother passed away a couple weeks ago. But don't feel sorry for me. Come on. Everybody, come on. Everybody okay? I'm trying hard to help you. It's, I'm okay? Okay. Thank you, Shelly. So what you have is what's been called an, an orphan spirit. And what that means is you approach life as though you don't have a legit mom and dad who have provided for you what it takes for you to be the kind of person you think you should be. And their characteristics. And so when I'm talking about someone that views life as an orphan, what I'm really talking about is someone who is not absolutely and thoroughly convinced that God approves of you, that God loves you, that God has a great future for you, and he knows you in and out, and he knows the worst thing you've ever done or the worst thing you'll ever do, and it does not affect his love for you whatsoever. Because his love is not based on you, it's based on what he's like. And so he's not waiting on you to straighten up to help you. He's waiting on you to see his heart for you so that help will break through into who you are because you're not seeing life right. And when you don't see life right, you hold God at a distance and you're blind to the goodness he wants to bring your ways. But you don't even know it because the worst kind of blindness is when you're blind and don't know it. So their characteristics of the orphan spirit or characteristics of someone who doesn't know God's approval. Striving. Name dropping. Insecurity. Lack of focus. Frustration. Self-promotion. Anybody got any of those so far? No? Okay, I got a lot more. <laughs> Here's one I know you've got if you're not listening to me and agreeing. Unbelief. Cynicism. I've talked about cynicism. Cynicism is a false philosophy. People who are cynical are generally, not always, but generally hurt and don't want to admit it. And the way they cover up their hurt is they get cynical and they have an amazing ability to find out what's wrong with people and criticize them and feel good about it and gather others around who are interested in their opinion. Anybody in here deal with any of that? No, I don't think so. Oh, Stuart Clark raised his hand. Let the record show. <laughs> A sense of loneliness. 
I was had to throw Stuart under the bus to get the tension off of me. A sense of abandonment. A sense of rejection. A feeling of being unloved. Striving. I said that once, but I put it on there again. Being fearful. Insecure. That's on there again. Self-reliant. I don't need anybody. Self-preserving. Self-protecting. Independent. Any of those ring a bell? There is one solution for everything. Every one of those things. And it's knowing the Lord. Knowing Jesus the way he really is. I like that. I really like that. I think it's so important. Um, I think it's important that Jesus' ministry uh, began with the Lord um, proclaiming publicly the audible voice of God came several times during the course of Jesus' life as we know it. I mean, it could have happened more, but we know these are recorded uh, in the Bible. And every time God's voice came to Jesus audibly that we know about, it had something to do with how infatuated the Father was with the Son. And the context was it of how disconnected that infatuation, that love, that devotion the Father had for the Son was to the stuff he was doing. Matthew 3.17, And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. That's an awesome, awesome concept. Do you feel that way? Do you, feel, do you wake up in the morning knowing, apart from anything you can do, that's the way God thinks about you? Because that is the way God thinks about you. You see, you do approving things when you're convinced you're approved. You see, that's the way God has intended for that to work. You do approving things because you already know he approves of you. You and your mess. I'm, am I saying you shouldn't repent? Well, of course you should. But your repentance doesn't bring, bring the favor of God. It may help you enjoy it. But see, the wonderful thing is the favor of God is at everyone's door. He doesn't have to give it. He's given it. But, but one of the keys to the Christian life is learning how to embrace and enjoy and live in what we've been given. And see, Jesus was the perfect example of that. Jesus had like zero, zero fear of men. Jesus had like zero political spirit. When I say political spirit, do you know those people? You may be one of them. But do you know those people who make friends based on what that friend will do for them in whatever area of life they're in? Now, I know that's important to, to run in the same circles with accomplished people to accomplish your goals. God works all that out. But I think you ought to just have some friends you have just because you like them and they don't do anything for you. 
Because to me, that's a real friend because a real friend is disconnected. I don't mean a real friend, but the kind we all need and want is you just have this connection. You just care about them. They don't have to do anything. They can't ultimately completely offend you. And to me, that's the way Jesus was. I, I want to say this too. I think Jesus was the happiest person ever lived, ever, ever, ever. Somebody say ever, 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 ever. Why would I say that? Because the Bible says Old Testament, New Testament, he had an anointing of gladness above his companions. That was the anointing Jesus had. And when I say anointing, what I'm talking about is that was like the prominent personality trait of Jesus, not severity. And the only people who seemed to have trouble with him were religious people. But the Bible says common people heard him gladly. Gladly. They would invite him home for supper. Knowing they were sinners. They still do it. Why? There was something about this Jesus. We need that Jesus to introduce himself to us again. What do you think? We need that Jesus. Listen, there is so much crazy Christianity out there. It's scary. You know, the Apostle Paul didn't have a mailing list. He didn't have a Facebook account. He wasn't on Twitter. He wasn't on Instagram. He didn't have a computer. But he had something so profound in his life, something so remarkable in himself, in God, that he could help transform entire cities. And we have become so dependent on peripherals that we have lost the reality of the legitimate and the authentic and the real, which is the Lord himself and how good and how kind and how wise and how generous and how happy he really is. I don't want to be in a church of cross-eyed people. I don't want to be in a church of politically correct people. I don't want to be in a church where people are trying to tell everybody else how to live. Because it doesn't work. Show them how to live. Carry something in who you are that says, I want to be this way. Instead of running out and beating them half to death over whatever the sin and flavor of the week is. Come on. Anybody feel that way? I feel that way. I was waking up one morning and the Lord said to me, not audibly, anybody got a relationship with the Lord where he speaks to you? Only it's not audible, it's just in your thoughts or how that works. Yeah, everybody does, you just may not know it. But he, I woke up in that sort of half-conscious state and the Lord said, each of my children is my own personal favorite. Well, I said, man, that means I'm God's favorite person. And then he said, but very few of my children really believe that. 
You see, you're God's favorite person. His thoughts towards you are as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sands in the sea. One of the keys, though, is you got to quit looking at Christians to try to figure out what God's like. you got to start looking at the Lord to figure out what people could be like. You should look in the wrong direction. And it hurts. It hurts. When you know the Lord, your hurts will get healed. They will. All of them. All of them. Today? No, maybe not today. But if you stick around him long enough, he's going to heal you, body, soul, and spirit. Just hang in. And if he doesn't, you go to be with the Lord with some aches and pains. He'll, he's got a great explanation. But see, we need, we need to side with the Lord. Do you understand what I mean? We need to, we need to, we need to quit figuring out what's wrong with God and start embracing what's right with them. That's a crazy thing to say, but it is the way people think. Um, Bill Johnson, you know, we have some folks in the church here that were with them for a number of years, and he says some of the most amazing things. He, he was saying this, you need to be thankful for what God is doing, not for what he hasn't done yet. Because it's the key to receiving what he hasn't done Yet. That's what I mean when I say side with the Lord. Don't gravitate towards people who complain. I will tell you, I've got sitting right back here, uh, Joe Mathis. I'm going to tell you something Joe told me. Um, we, when Joe and I met the Lord, we preached to everything that wiggled, moved, or could possibly be alive. And being young bucks, we were all competitive, and I was sort of angry, honestly. To tell you the truth, that was sort of my common methodology. I was just angry and hostile and arrogant. And Joe had been in a situation with a friend of his who had gotten that way, and it affected Joe's life. And honestly, as I remember this, the fellow wound up being so negative and critical that I don't know if he, he committed suicide or something, but he died a premature death. I don't remember all the details. But it so affected Joe that he made up his mind he was not going to run around with critical people. And so one day he looked me in the eye, and this is what a friend does. And he said, Robin, if you don't get off this criticism and negativity, I'm not going to spend any more time with you. I did it once. I'll never do it again. And see, he was on to something. You, you can't be that way is not a way of life. To, 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 why can't you devote yourself to seeing what's right with people and affirming that? Why can't we devote ourselves to seeing how we can make people better? Why can't we give ourselves to building people up and, and refusing to criticize and speak evil of people? And I'm going to tell you that is a tall order. It is. 
But that's how the life of Jesus flows at its most effective level. It's when you begin to see people for who they are, not how they act. Well, I didn't quite get into my message today, but I've got a good start on it. Let's do this. I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer, but I'm going to tell you what it is before you pray it. I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer of renouncement. What is that? You know you have authority. If you have no more authority over anything in the world, you have an authority over yourself. And many of us in this room have agreed with negative, critical, judgmental, cynical thoughts, thoughts, concepts, and proclamations. And we're bearing the fruit of them. I want us to pray a simple prayer of renouncement, where we renounce that way of life and those things we've already said. Do you know the Bible says you're snared by the words of your mouth? You really are. If you look at life, life is the sum total of what you think and believe and say. That's how everything in this life works. And if you're devoted to negativity and if you're devoted to criticism and that's the way you speak and that's the way you think and that's the way you act, what do you think you're going to get? Who are you going to attract How many of you want to renounce that way of life? If you do, stand up. If you don't and you're okay, that's good. There's no club to join. Father, I choose this morning to renounce cynicism, criticism, negativity, bitterness, hostility and all that way of life. Lord Jesus, just lift that off of us now, each one of us. And Father, fill us once again with the newness of your spirit. The newness of your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.